0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues. I'm David Kimura, and today on our panel we have Valentino Stoll. Hey there. Luke Stutter. Hello. And John Epperson. Hello, everybody. And today we have a special guest, Kevin Newton. How's it going? Hey, Kevin. So, would you mind please telling us a bit about yourself, who you are, what you've done, some of your accomplishments?
1: Sure, yeah. So, I've been a Ruby dev for a while now, I guess since about 2013. Uh, I've been in and around the, the Boston area, uh, working at various startups. And uh, recently, I suppose not as recently as I, as I think, about a, a year and a half ago, I joined Shopify and I've been working there ever since on the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team, specifically working on YJIT. Lately, I've been working a lot on various projects related to the parser, of specifically Ruby's parser. Historically, I've done a couple things like written a formatter, it's a plugin for Prettier, Recently, I got a Ruby Association grant to build a pure Ruby formatter to upstream to the standard library. I've been working on various projects related to Ripper, various projects related to instruction sequences. I have a project that that, that builds macros into Ruby. It's very odd, but all kind of the, the, the front end of the, the programming language has been kind of my bread and butter for the last couple of years.
0: Nice.
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com.
0: So do you primarily work in Ruby or are you doing more C development for the Ruby and YJIT stuff?
1: Yeah, lately, so for my day job it's it's all C and really it's actually got a lot of specifically assembly stuff. But in my spare time it's it's Ruby. Like the formatter that I'm writing these days is uh, is all in pure Ruby.
0: Cool. Yeah, a lot of those C extensions and the Ruby Lang itself, it's one of those things where I'm really happy with the end result, but I don't want to dive into that stuff.
1: Yeah. I remember at some point during a conference, Aaron Patterson said, I write C so you don't have to, which I think was an apt yeah. <laughs> phrase to use.
0: Yeah. And can you explain a bit about the prettier Ruby that you've been working on? Sure. Yeah. So when I
1: started the plugin, let's see, it was three or four years ago now. Gosh. At the time, there the only formatter-ish thing that existed was RuboCop. RuboCop being built as a linter that And at the time, you know, its formatting capabilities were not as good as they are today. Around the same time, actually, a bunch of other people decided to build a Ruby formatter at at, around the same time. But what I had seen was that Prettier had kind of taken over the JavaScript ecosystem, right? It came out of people that worked at Facebook. And what it did was create a language agnostic tree that understood how to be printed using a specific algorithm. And they built the ability to build plugins for any language. And there was a PHP one, a Java one, and a Swift one that were all kind of taking off. And I decided I wanted to try my hand at building it for Ruby. Uh, and I just wanted to leverage the ecosystem that they already had. Um, they already had the printing algorithm. They had some niceties around the CLI. They had some stuff about like embedding languages and other languages. So at the time, really, all I had to do was use a parser, which Ripper already provided with a standard library, and then convert it into their tree that they had predefined and it turned out to be not so bad and i've been uh, maintaining it ever since
0: cool and what is the point of the parser or the formatter so i know a lot of people know what rubocop is that it's like hey this is the quote best practices of how your code should look is that similar to what you're doing with the plugin
1: yeah somewhat so RuboCop has a lot of rules in it, it has a lot of different things. So RuboCop kind of encompasses a lot of different practices, it's it's a linter, it's also a security scanner, it's also a formatter. So prettier only takes the last piece of that, which is the formatter part, it doesn't like check your code for best practices, so to speak. But what we'll do is it will take your code and print it out in an item potent canonical format to always say like, this is the the accepted format. And the function of it is is kind of twofold. One is to eliminate discussions of formatting with your dev team, like just don't worry about it, just trust this tool. The other piece of it is to try to make it very easy to understand and walk through code bases that you haven't necessarily seen before, because you know the format that's expected, and you get used to a certain flow. And I was actually reading this article that was really interesting that was kind of the basis for the algorithm that we use in prettier. And it was saying that the the function and format of code is to train your eye to see the syntax tree behind the code more easily. That's why we indent things in certain ways, you're, you're kind of seeing the tree and I liked that a lot. I I thought it was kind of insightful. So, yeah, it's eliminating conversations of formatting, but also making it so that you can see the tree more easily and understand where everything is going to be.
3: I always kind of thought about it as like, prettier is kind of like, if you just ran RuboCop with the auto correct on all the time, would you say that's pretty fair?
1: Yeah, it's pretty fair. RuboCop has some rules, though, that they themselves have marked as like unsafe changes. Like things like dot values dot each changing into each values, like it's two method calls mm-hmm. becoming one. It might not actually have an each values. So like, so yes and no. There, there are some, it's like a limited RuboCop.
3: I know. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some caveats involved, but yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. one of the things that Prettier states in its like uh, description is that it will never change the semantic meaning of code, which is, is always a little bit like, it's kind of a slippery slope because at the beginning I had things like if you have a block with just a single method call, right, you can transform that into a symbol with an ampersand. For a shorthand block, technically, that changes the arity of the block, and technically, rails was reflecting on the arity of that block in order to determine callback arguments and so technically, it was changing the semantic meaning, so I actually ended up turning that or putting it behind an option so yeah it's it's hairy because there's a lot of reflection capabilities, so I mean technically. Any formatting change is changing semantic meaning because you can reflect on line numbers of methods. So it's a little—you have to kind of draw a fuzzy line somewhere. Now
4: oh,
3: that makes total sense.
4: I first started getting exposed to prettier working on a JavaScript project, which was an Next.js thing, and my colleague had added prettier as a hook in the Git repository, so that I could not commit any code unless <laughs> it went through prettier, because I had no idea how to Git hooks worked and he wouldn't tell me where they were where they live got dot git repository so no one i knew could put code in that hadn't gone through the prettier javascript parser and it also ran the test too which is really annoying and that's that was my first introduction to this prettier as an enforced enforced you know you must you pre-format your code before committing it. This is hugely annoying and frustrating and probably massively improved the quality of the code going in. Is that where you see this being used? Mainly kind of larger teams where you everyone has to follow the same formatting rules? Or do you mainly see this being used by really annoying now ex-colleagues who think that I have to format my code properly in order for it to work and I don't?
1: <laughs> it's a great question. All of this is caveated with like find the right tools for your team, the right balance. I think the enforcing without plugging into format on save is really tough, because then you're just going to get bit and slow down. So if you're gonna enforce it, I would highly suggest making it so that when you save it just formats. Um, which is like a much easier and more comfortable workflow, because otherwise it's just like, ah, gotcha. Like, <laughs> I and mean, that right. can be really, really annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it depends on the team. Like, I, I probably wouldn't, I don't know, I, I'm in the camp where I probably wouldn't turn on, I don't turn on pretty on my own projects, my own projects that I just work on alone because I have like artisanally formatted code. And I don't care what people think. Um, Me too. but on projects Me too. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But with multiple people, it, it really, it starts to make sense as the teams go bigger. And especially in my day job at Shopify, like there's so many folks working on it that having an enforced style really starts to make a lot of sense.
0: And so with something like that, how would you get started? So I assume that Prettier has a CLI that you can run on a entire project, but then as you are developing, how do you get it to save or make the changes, run the scan once you save a particular file? Do you have to still run Prettier separately?
1: Yeah, so the way it generally works these days because of Microsoft is to build a language server. So there's a language server running in the background of your editor, there are now language server integrations with almost every major editor. uh, But VS Code was kind of the first pioneer of this, which is basically just running a daemon process on your computer that has responds to certain protocol. The protocol is the language server protocol. But basically, it'll send you a text document formatting request with the URL of the file. And your job is to return to it the formatted text. And so, prettier hooks into all this stuff. So, so actually, when I was building the prettier plugin, it was really plug and play because the language server stuff already existed. So I didn't have to touch that at all. In my newer project, syntax tree, I, I actually did have to build my own language server. But it's really not so bad. It's it's basically like a minimal HTTP server. The it has headers and a body, and it looks pretty similar if you're comfortable writing an HTTP server.
5: So, Kevin, that's one thing I. I thought was interesting about your article, is it it's using node to kind of proxy the Ruby parsing portion of it?
1: Yeah, it's definitely (laughs) it's definitely hairy. It's weird, Uh, for sure. (laughs) So how do you how do you make sense
5: of it when you're developing do you find yourself like often like losing track of when you're in Ruby and when you're not?
1: not not really it feels a little bit like a full stack operation it's it's as if you're writing a front end in javascript and an api in ruby (laughs) so the prettier plugin itself is is it's a little strange like it spawns a ruby daemon process that is actually a tcp server that will listen it actually will listen on unix sockets if they're available and then the node process communicates to it as if it's making an api call basically it's it's like it's making a uh, ajax call <laughs> and it's very weird because node actually doesn't have the capability to make an api call a, a network call synchronously which is and there's so many problems with that in my code because the only way uh, prettier works is it has to be synchronous so I actually end up spawning a process that then communicates to the Ruby API server and then synchronously returns and it just waits for the parent process and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. But yeah, I mean, the nice thing is the Ruby side of things can be kind of extracted into its own gem, its own, like, there's value in and of itself because having a canonical Ruby parser is, is good. So, just building the AST is—it's it's almost like a separated project. But yeah, there—it's definitely weird, <laughs> and I've run into no no shortage of trouble because it's three parts, right? There's the Ruby side, the intercommunication, and the, the Node side. So, definitely uh, somewhat complicated.
5: Yeah, I would love to dive into some of this parser stuff. Yeah, because I, I've been following That's the the AST builders for quite a while, ever since Tree Sitter, and so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that, as far as what the syntax tree gem that you're working on, how it's different from, I guess, White Quark's parser library. Right. And maybe some advantages, disadvantages that you see going forward.
1: For sure. Right. So I will plug my own talk here, but everyone should go watch my talk from RubyConf recently on parsing Ruby. It's a brief overview and history of all of the Ruby parsers that have all the efforts to make ruby and into a tree since its inception there are a lot of them and they all take different approaches and the problem is it's extremely difficult to keep up with the upstream right c ruby will make changes and then j ruby truffle ruby the parser gem sorbet all of these projects that these those are like the 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 biggest projects that's, that maintain their own parsers they all go have to go and update it in the same way and the way in which you do that is a little bit hairy. I mean, people tend to like watch the parse.y changes. They'll do whatever they need to do. Uh, Ruby spec that Benoit created is is really helpful, but at the same time, it's like it's like pretty hard to keep up with. So White Quark, the, the parser gem specifically basically forked the grammar file and used Raggle to build an AST. It's slower than C Ruby by quite a bit. That's kind of to be expected. And it's not like a this, it's not necessarily like a shortcoming. It's just, it's a, it's a fact. Ripper is kind of interesting. It ships with Ruby as a standard library. And what it does is it takes the grammar from the parser generator and it's got comments littered throughout the parse.y file that tell you, it, it's like a little DSL. It's a tiny little language that then gets transformed into its own parser generator. So it goes parser generator to parser generator to parser. Generator to parser. <laughs> And it, it's pretty fast because of that. And because of it, it ships with Ruby. It, it has a lot of advantages because it, it's always up to date. So it's, it's significantly faster. And so using Ripper, you can build your own trees. And that's what Tree is based on. So that's why Syntextry is like significantly faster than the parser gem. The problem is the entire ecosystem has kind of centered around the parser gem, like RuboCop. There are a ton of, you know, lexical scanners and, and semantic scanners and all these other kinds of things, security scanners and they are all based on the parser gem. So the parser gem has a really rich ecosystem with a ton of work that has been done on it over time. So I don't know. I'm going to try to push syntax tree and see how far I get. If at some point, if I get the time, I'd love to write a syntax tree backend for Rubocop where I could transform syntax tree structures into the expected parser gem structures so that it would be very easy to, to migrate all those tools onto just the faster parser. But I will say kind of holistically, I don't think syntax tree is the end all be all. I, I want a new parser <laughs> that is completely devoid of the current parse.y file that can be used to generate the parsers for truffle Ruby, JRuby, artichoke Ruby, sorbet, whatever, anything. I don't know what that looks like yet. And it's still very much loose, but I know that there's a lot of interest from JRuby and a lot of interest from truffle Ruby, from truffle Ruby in actually having something that could keep up to date because implementing parser changes is not fun or easy. And it's not something that maintainers of end use, maintainers of end programs want to be doing. Like they, they would so much rather just work on the actual implementation of their language. So yeah, it's a long winded answer, but yes.
5: So what more specifically does your, like, does your syntax tree gem, how exactly is it more performant?
1: Yeah. So the, re- really because Ripper is in C. I mean, that's the, that's the honest answer is because it's in C. The parser gem uses Braggle to generate a Ruby parser, which works absolutely, but the C parser is going to be faster. There's using bison gets you a certain number of advantages and it's relatively memory performant. So it runs a couple things and passes values around, but it's, it's not that much slower than the actual Ruby parser in production. So, so that's, that's where speed comes from.
3: So something that you mentioned here i just kind of wanted to check like the implications of of writing more or less like a better parser to kind of go back to the question that or your answer just a second ago are potentially that like we could get like jruby rubinius all that whole ecosystem of sort of alternate rubies we could get those uh things maybe faster or something like that or they'll be like closer to spec more often,
1: not necessarily faster. Or, I mean, not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, maybe faster. I i mean, it, that's kind of. It's more maintainable. Is the is the real benefit? Okay. If there is one canonical shared library that they're all using, then it's so much easier to implement changes because you know. I mean, like Ruby two seven introduced pattern matching, and. 3.0 and 3.1 yep. both introduced a whole bunch of new syntax that people didn't know. And uh, that just slows down language implementers and tool implementers. They, it's it's hard to keep up with those kinds of changes. And if you're building something like Sorbet, like you want to be for, fo- focusing on the type system, you don't want to be focusing on the parser. So so maintainability is really the answer. Plus, no one really understands parsed.y. I mean, like, Nobu and Mame and Aaron Patterson, I'm sure understand it to a certain extent. But like, there are not that many contributors that go into the grammar and like really dig into it. It's it's a very difficult piece of technology.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I recommend it. So a while back, I was working on a, what do you call it? Like a custom, like small language, right? For interpreting basically a small like rule set that I could have users gender, right? And so I had to build a grammar for that. And that's complicated as heck for like, I don't know, my grammar was like 100 lines long <laughs> to handle basically so that users could have ifs or not really ifs they were just really had like ors and ands like logical binary stuff yeah and and yeah it's complicated as hell
1: yeah i think that there's also like been a little bit of pushback on so so parser generators have been used forever and they're massively used in academia you know you go to school they tell you to use a parser generator that's kind of what happens but if you take a look at the parsers that are being used by most major production languages ruby is almost a bit of an outlier in that it uses a parser generator. A lot of the languages have switched to hand-rolled recursive descent. And it's it's interesting that we haven't. I think that's because there's a lot of money behind a lot of other languages and they can they can get away with making massive scale changes where Ruby might not be able to, but I I don't necessarily think that the parser generator gets you as many benefits as people purport it to because it's very hard to understand a debug. Writing is very quick, but reading is very hard. <laughs> So, trade-offs.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. So, to, to clarify a little bit, what does what does a uh, hand-rolled descent give us that parser generator does not and what does it cost us? Just kind of
1: Yeah, for sure. That piece. So, when you
3: This is fascinating to me. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, there's when you're writing a grammar, the gra- the parser generators that we use today are built for context-free languages. Right. So the, there's the Noam Chomsky hierarchy of languages, the the different uh, complicated. What is the word I'm looking for? The different levels of complexity and parser generators are built for context free languages. But in, in reality, every major programming language is context sensitive. Different things mean different have different meaning in different scopes. So because of that, you have all these hacks that are built in that say, okay, if I'm inside of a method definition, this thing is going to be very slightly different. This new line is significant, but only in this way. And this is significant only in this way. So we're using basically a tool built for one thing. We're building it for another thing. And the the complexity of maintaining the parser comes in that discrepancy. Hand-rolled, if you're inside of a hand-rolled parser, then you know exactly where you are at any given time. You're not using some kind of massive effectively what what parser generators are is is just a jump list right you're inside this thing you jump over to this other and it's just a bunch of go-tos like it it just bounces around but in a hand-rolled one you know exactly where you are so if you wanted to for instance say okay if I'm inside of a method definition on the parameters and I have a plus sign it means this doing that in a parser generator is possible and difficult (laughs) So you can get down to really fine-grained things. The other really big reason to do hand-rolled stuff is error handling. Parser generators, building in error handling is very difficult. They recently added column information to the to where certain errors are. Um, this came with the the recent 3.1 stuff with the error highlight gem. And having column information everywhere is hard. You have to do a whole mess of stuff. Whereas, right, if you're rolling your own parser, you increment the column. You, it's a number. You can do whatever you want. So error handling is a big thing. There's a lot of discussion about happening around, especially around 3.1. Richard Scheneman has been working on the dead end gem, which has been a lot of a lot of stuff going into the Lexer. I know mommy was working on the error highlight gem. So th- there's just a lot of information that you can manually manage if you have a hand rolled parser.
3: I think that makes sense. So we're using basically a general tool, which is well known and how should I say it, like maybe more accessible, right? To like an open source group like we belong to because we use Ruby versus like, like you said, having a ton of money and a ton of time to rebuild the parser from scratch. And okay, yeah, makes some sense. So we could get a, we could get a better and have cooler features in our language if we shoved a ton of money at it and rebuilt the language from scratch. (laughs) Just (laughs) like if you rebuild any project from scratch, it'll be better, we promise.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I say all this stuff, and I proselytize all of this stuff about the parser, and then it's like, "Yeah, see you in 2050. I'll I'll be done then." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of a bit of a pipe dream.
3: No, that makes total sense. I think it, I mean that puts it into context for me a lot better.
4: Why did you write the XML parser? A uh, prettier, rather.
1: Yeah. So. And so, right. So Prettier is kind of an interesting CLI because it's language agnostic. You can hook into a whole bunch of different things and run one CLI to format your entire code base. With Prettier, they they mostly tackled the front end ecosystem. They have an HTML, including variants. They have JavaScript, TypeScript, CSS, all these different things. They had nothing for SVG. And so that's something that was missing. And I was using a lot of SVG as my job at the time. And I wanted a formatter for it. I want to just run one command and format an entire code base. But also, I really want to format ERB, and it's very hard. ERB. ERB, yeah. Yeah, yeah. HTML.ERB, specifically. So, right, an XML parser gets me close to having an HTML formatter. HTML and XML are different in very unfortunate ways. (laughs) Very small, minute, unfortunate significant ways so it's very difficult to to kind of bridge that gap but it got me closer but formatting html erb is a massive pain because you're effectively you are effectively formatting a macro language because erb is effectively macros around html like textual macros and it's annoying to say the least but yeah my dream was to build the html erb parser starting with the xml but it's been a while and i don't know if it's going to happen
3: is the html one done
1: (laughs) well so pretty already had the html one uh okay so that already existed uh it was it was pretty damn complicated to be honest there there's a lot of stuff that hooks into it there's a lot of variants of html that exist in the javascript ecosystem specifically like angular has some interesting things that you can add in to html that like may not be quite to spec and, you know, there's a lot of other things in there. So so they have a very complicated parser. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, most of my efforts these days is to rewrite absolutely everything in pure Ruby. So fortunately, Nokogiri yes. exists. Join
4: us. Join us. <laughs> <Yeah>. Join us.
1: <laughs> fortunately, Nokogiri exists. So if I wanted to write an HTML formatter in Ruby, I would probably just use HTML or uh, Nokogiri to... To build it out.
3: Whatever happened to the other ones, I thought that we were all going to quit using Nokogiri and use like, something else. Oh, and I then, did. I did. Nokogiri still exists. I did. I didn't have Unless have...
0: Nokogiri is shipping with compiled <laughs> binaries now. So it's a lot
1: to faster to install. Yeah. yeah.
3: Mike. Oh, I, that's true.
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, there's RexML written in pure Ruby. It's not as fast. That's kind of the reality. Mike Delasio is, is maintaining Nokogiri and he he's also effectively maintaining WebXML, which is. <laughs> an upstream dependency of it. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of work that goes into Nokogiri. I think it's probably going to be here for a long time. I don't think anyone's actually going to replace it.
3: It's fair. I mean, we had like all those things. There was like OJ. I just encountered a project that had a thing called OX in it. I mean, yeah. Okay, fair enough.
1: Those are the JSON parsers? OX the... is the one.
3: definitely That's the one I use. XML. Oh, yeah,
1: 5. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
3: replaced. And I thought OJ was too, but I mean, don't rely on my memory or anything. Hang on, let me look it up.
1: I'm looking at the OX one optimized XML. Yeah,
3: you're right. OJS JSON. My bad, my bad. OX is OX is, whatever. I replaced
4: I all of, one of my Nokia of OX and it was a total nightmare and nothing worked for ages. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. C data in OX, you have to give it a special thing to say read in C data. Right? And because this is a system integrating with loads of different uh, suppliers and distributors, they're all using you know slightly different stuff in their exmo files so i had all the customer personal details like the username and the address magically disappear as soon as i started passing with ox instead of nokagiri and of course you know it's still a string isn't it so it's not going to blow up but people's names would
3: magically disappear
4: but but it was still worth it to get rid of (laughs) nokagiri sorry
3: Aaron. to uh to to add to that i was actually going to say specifically if you if you're maintaining ox and you you hear this or whatever like because I literally used this last week, right? And the documentation of Ox says do this and this stuff will magically happen. So you and your code are like, "Sweet, I'll just do that." And it doesn't look that way cuz you don't so you had you had, didn't set up the flags, right? Or whatever. It took me a while right. to figure that out, but right. there's like a flag config. Yep. Magic yeah.
0: flags.
1: It's not, it's not entirely surprising there's so many options. Yeah. Supporting all that's got to be incredibly complicated. So yeah.
0: I never mind Nokogiri yep. until I've actually had to interact with it and parse something. <laughs> then, it's, then it's like, as far as just letting Rails use it in the background and me not having to worry about it, it's great. <laughs> oh my god. The, the one
1: the one thing I will I say you. the one thing I will say in defense is that having been in the parser world for a couple of years now, parsers are hard. <laughs> and getting it right is very hard and uh, it's just like not an easy technology to get right. So if there's a little bit of uh, rough edges, like forgive the maintainers, it's incredibly difficult to get right.
3: You know, that that actually brings up, some, so, as soon as you said something, Dave, and then as soon as you said that, Kevin, this like made me think about, okay, so back when I was talking about, I like had a parser on a project a while ago or whatever, right? And the thing that I did to make my life better is I, I built this parser, and, you know, I got its output, right? And then I built this interface that would interface with the interface that they built, right? Because I was like, I don't like this. I don't like how it works. I just want to be able to, you know, navigate this in the way that I wanted to, right? So I built my own interface. And I wonder, and I was thinking about Nokogiri and and when I actually had to use Nokogiri to parse something and how I really hated the API, right, that Nokogiri has. And I was thinking about, Ox, and I was like, oh, you know what? That's like one thing that I really liked about Ox is I just did whatever it was like dump or load or whatever it was. And then I could traverse it with dot each and things like that. Right. Which is exact like as a Rubyist, I'm like, that feels native to me. Right. I just want to traverse all the children by dot eaching them. Right. And it worked really well. It was really simple. My it, it felt natural. And I wonder if there's some space for a sort of a generic like, interface layer, like, you know, that's like, oh, yeah, we work with, you know, we have a plugin for Ox, plugin for Nokogiri. I don't know. I'm just spitballing because I literally just thought of it. But because I think I think you bring up a good point, right? Like, if there's sort of two sides to a parser project, one side is the actual parsing problem. And the other side is what is the person who uses your thing use, right? And you might be interested in one side or the other. And so, yeah, and maybe... If you're not interested in the other, it's going to suffer.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about a intermediate representation that is well well understood, and those kinds of projects are great. I, <laughs> from I mean, from the way what you're what you're saying, I think you should contribute one to, to Nokogiri. <laughs>
3: the way, one day, the way, one day.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way you're talking about it, it sounds like uh, they could use uh, you know a better interface. Sure,
0: absolutely. Uh, what is you this going to look like?
3: like? All hashes. I mean, because we all like hashes.
0: I
4: mean,
3: you know, pretty hashes, but...
0: It was about 2014, and I was playing around with a Raspberry Pi, and I made a G-code parser to control CNC machines. And what I basically found out about parsers is that every parse that you're doing, or any kind of parsing that you're doing with your parser, is going to be an edge case everything is an edge case. You will always find like, well, crap, why isn't this one working? And it's because something is just a little bit different, whether it's a funny white space or strange character or something, it's going to be different. and just going to like crash your parser. So I do have a lot of respect and love for anyone who tackles that and actually makes it work well. So, you know, yeah, I'm I'm not bashing on Noko Gear. No,
1: I I think think you're totally right. One thing that, when I initially made the first pass at the Prettier plugin, I wrote, I just dynamically defined all of the handlers in Ripper for all the events. And I just said, it's just an array. Just return to me the name of the event and all the children in the tree. And that was a bad decision. (laughs) It was too generic. And there's too many edge cases. And there were too many nodes that had like, potentially different kinds of things happening. And it's, it's very hard to genericize. And uh, when I finally decided to get 1.0 across the board, and and, and finally, like really invested a lot of time to, to do it, I just ended up handwriting a handler for every single event in the tree. Like it just made things so much easier to maintain. <laughs> and you know, it's only like 200 nodes, it's fine. It's like, <laughs> not too bad
3: yeah i know what you're saying like at the end of the day like sometimes all right so real honest discussions right like sometimes i i I believe things i have this ideal and then in order to deliver a product you you sometimes have to say you know what today we're gonna let this one go
1: (laughs) yeah i mean right there's always there's always gonna be the purist in the back of your head right that's that's saying like oh this could be this could be generic. This could be perfect. And then you have your deadline. And then that person shuts up. So
0: hi,
2: this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build. Relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So, if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topenddevs.com/slash coaching. I will give you a one-hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So, once again, that's topendevs.com/slash Coaching.
1: Well, it's interesting because we were talking. Totally or, we were talking earlier about parser generators, and I think that that's the very same thread of like, oh, this could be a parser generator. It could be maintainable. It could be this pure tree represented in this beautiful way. I have a colleague named Chris Seaton who is. uh uh, a PhD in compilers and, and languages, and he uses the term over-formalization. This is the over-formalization of computer science by using these parser generators, where in, in reality, it's like, just write the dang parser. It'll be easier. <laughs> I promise. It's easier to maintain.
3: To be fair, I will say that if Ruby taught me nothing else, Ruby taught me that I can have my cake and eat it too. and um, And I have to thank Ruby for that because I you know, I had kind of put my idealist back in the box and was ready to accept a lot of crap. And Ruby said, no, no, you really can achieve this crazy stuff. Now, I, I can't always do it for my day job. And sometimes you got to push stuff across the line. But uh, I definitely feel like, uh, in general, Ruby lets me dream, right? It lets me say, you know what, I really want to have this idealized interface layer, right? And, uh, and one day, when i have time on my hands and and really feeling the itch like maybe i'll make it happen or maybe somebody else will or whatever right but yeah let's me dream yeah That's all i'm saying
1: for sure no i totally agree with that i think that is why i love ruby because the expressiveness is there like you can you can you can achieve that you don't have to fight the language to get what you want you just have to ma- maybe fight the maintainability of it
5: so kevin I, i'd like to get into some wide let's
4: do yes, it please let's do it <laughs> oh no Oh, no Do you know it's so, sorry Luke oh it's, i I just, I just can't get through the Wiget talk from the Rubyconf. I can't get through it uh, oh no tell tell me why I don't care about whyji i don't I don't <laughs> care i don't care I well,
0: can't. Then you don't have to watch it <laughs> I know.
4: I, I i I know I really should I really, really should, but I can't
1: no, but it's, I think that's the whole point is that you ideally. You know, ideally you shouldn't have to, right? Ideally, this should all run in the background, and you shouldn't care. So, I mean, we're not there yet, but man, one day you will not have to care, and that would be really great. Kevin, do you know what the "why" the in YJ stands for? I do because I introduced it. it stands for yawn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, nope, mm-hmm. but all right. <laughs>
5: I happen to disagree with Luke there. <laughs> I'm well, pretty to, excited about YJIT. <laughs> to
1: each their own, you know? I mean, like, I get it. Not everyone's cup of tea. I told, I told one of my best friends, who's also a programmer, I told him I just wanted to work on JIT compilers all day, and he looked like he was going to die. <laughs> so I I get it. Everyone wants to build their own thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, yeah, what, what can I, I mean, what can I tell you? I saw on
5: the uh, the Ruby mailing list that uh, they're considering uh, introducing Rust. Is, yes. Is there any, where is that at this stage?
1: Yeah, I have fresh news on that front. There was a developer meeting last night. They talked about it. Two people from my team, Aaron Patterson and uh, Alan Wu were there. People seem, I got to couch this a little bit because it is not definitive in any way but people seem amenable to it being prototyped. <laughs> so, you know, l- let me, let me put it that at that level. <laughs> Currently, Alan on our team and also Maxine, the lead are working on transitioning a lot of it to Rust. There is some work that is already visible and open source and some work that is still happening behind the scenes. There's a lot of reasons why Rust would be a good choice for us. There's also some reasons why it would be a bad choice. So if there's, A lot of trade-offs to be had, but yeah, it's actively being discussed and actively being pursued. The real, one of the real reasons why we can get away with using Rust is that we only support x86 right now anyway. And, you know, we're going to add ARM support and we're going to add support for probably PowerPC at some point, though it's going to take a while, but we're not ever going to add support for everywhere Ruby runs. It's just not feasible. It doesn't make sense. We're not going to jit a toaster. So. Rust is going to end up targeting everything we need to target, so it's it's not necessarily like limiting in that way.
5: Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So where where along the uh, the optimization, you know, goals are is the Yjit project
1: extremely beginning, <laughs> right? So when you're writing a jit, there's like a whole suite of things you can end up building up to. Right. The most, most basic level is replacing the bytecode instructions with native function calls or not necessarily function calls, but native jumps in, into native code. That's kind of where we're at. There are all kinds of things you can start doing after that. Right. So the architecture that we have for YJ is called lazy, ba- bla- <laughs> excuse me, lazy basic block versioning. And this came out of Maxime, the leads, her PhD. She did. She introduced this technique into a a JavaScript JIT compiler, and one of the things that it does is allows you to specialize your code, the the generated native code, based on the runtime values that you're seeing. So if you have foo.bar, when you're in when you're running in production code, it has to look up what foo is, and then it has to look up the method on foo in at the specific call site in your code. When you have a JIT compiler, we can say, okay, let's make sure we know what type foo is. And then we always know where bar is and we can bust these caches eventually. But we're going to generate code just specifically because foo is an integer. We're going to generate code just for that integer. We're not going to generate code for like the generic, like, oh, check if it's an integer, check if it's a float, check if it's a string. Like, we're not going to do all that. We're only going to generate code for the integer. So we also have that, those kinds of optimizations in place. And and that's, it turns out to be pretty great. I mean, it turns out that call sites don't tend to have that many types in them. People don't tend to have foo be a float and also sometimes an integer and also sometimes a string. They technically usually it's it's one or two types at the most. So that's kind of the curve. But there's all kinds of other optimizations that we're hoping to do. And the 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 one like the big kind of like mother of all optimizations is inlining, right? Inlining functions into other functions, and that is kind of the next one of the next phases. And it's being actively investigated actually in in two ways. One is inlining YARV instructions into other YARV instructions which is would be beneficial to the interpreter and is kind of distinct from YJIT because this is like just a Ruby thing, inlining Ruby instructions into other. And we'd be doing a, a very small subset of like Ruby to Ruby calls. And Aaron is is taking a look at that right now. But there's also inlining within the byte code, the, 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 the actual native code. And that is also being investigated, but it's also kind of like a little bit harder and a little bit further afield. But, you know, after all these things, there's all kinds of things you can start doing. You can start doing really smart constant folding uh, with caching on the method and making sure it's not redefined. Uh, you can start doing all kinds of really impressive things that we don't have quite yet. So what I love is that YJ is al- already gaining, like, 20% speed-ups without having any of these great optimizations. Because I think Ruby is going to be crazy fast once we have all of these optimizations in place.
5: Yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. I mean, just how. Have- I just think back to, uh, what is the The, uh, Jamalic implementation, yeah. right? Like somebody just made a, introduced a different memory allocator and suddenly all, their memory was a, a little bit lower. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just using it, right? So like, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that where I could just install a new Ruby and suddenly it's I just working faster, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I love about every Christmas. You just get free speed boosts because Ruby Core is continuing to work and it just gets faster, which is really nice. So so yeah, I, I, I get it. One of the saddest
4: uh, talks I watched for RubyCore for 2021 was Takashi Kokobun's JIT talk. Now, in contrast to YJIT, MJIT I find totally fascinating. I don't know what it is, but MJIT <laughs> just keeps me on the edge of my seat so I, I listened to Kokobon's <laughs> talk on uh, MJ, and it was the saddest talk I've seen for a long time because it ends with Kokobon saying we're moving to Yjit. Yeah, yeah, and he also talks a, a little bit about the inlining at the end of that talk. You know, was was that was that all a big wasted effort? MJ, did you waste years of Kokobon's life by making Yjit? I think we should know.
1: No, not in any way, and I'll tell you why. You can make a tiny contribution to Rails, right? And that, that tiny contribution can come as a replacement to some other feature that took years of someone's life to build. But you would never build that replacement unless you had seen the work that had been done over the course of those years. Like we built YJIT not as a, to replace MJIT, but we built YJIT standing on the shoulders of MJIT, right? And all of these other projects, there is also the MIR project that uh, came, was, I think it was the keynote of like Kaigi 2018 or something like that. Rubinius had had a JIT that hooked into the LLVM ecosystem. You know, all of these projects, they, they feed into the knowledge of each other. And I think the general contribution of MJIT was invaluable. I think having the knowledge that this was possible, seeing the way it works, Not only that, but YJIT hooks into some of the same things that MJIT hooked into. MJIT had to go in and determine every time a constant was invalidated, every time a method was redefined. They added a specific field on the instruction sequence struct for JIT function. And we use the exact same field in YJIT. So all of this is to say, I think Kokobun's contribution was massive. I think it enabled YJIT to be created. And I think that he should be very, very proud of of how far it's come, and if if he's on board with with uh, transitioning over to YJIT, which I, from my understanding, that he is, I I think MJT will go down as one of the more significant contributions to Ruby that it's ever had.
4: There we are, you heard it here, folks. YJIT steals steals everything from MJT. <laughs> this this this, is a, this is a bit of a trend in tech at the moment. After the faker.js .js uh, controversy, mm, yeah, uh, and uh, the JavaScript color palette wars but yeah like i really enjoy uh yes. work and I, I like his talks as well so uh I, I hopefully i look forward to a kind of combined mj Yjit, like the end of power rangers you know combining together to form super
1: i do think that uh ruby is starting to do the infinity gauntlet of getting all of these different tools together that's a that's a better so...
4: reference for younger people who don't know what power
1: rangers <laughs> is right the infinity gauntlet <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's happening. And I'm excited for it. I mean, I, I think that these technologies are going to continue to build on each other and we're going to continue to see more development. And it's just going to end up being really good for the ecosystem, especially because, you know, I mean, we ha- we still have Minnesota, Like, everyone's on board with, with keeping the, the positive flowing here.
0: And so I have a couple of questions about Widget. One, it's coming into default with Rails or with Ruby 3.1, isn't it?
1: It's shipped by default, but it's off by default as well. Yeah, so you have to manually enable it.
0: And the second question is, are we going to, or would you recommend people enabling it on a Rails application? So when they start up Rails, to pass in the flag to enable widget. And if they did, would they see any issues or would they see any performance increase? (laughs)
1: I'm going to be very (laughs) careful with my answer here.
0: Depends.
1: It depends on your team. If you're a large team with some experienced folks, I would say, well, first of all, if you have a staging server, 100%, make it happen. Absolutely do it. Sure. For sure. If you're only living in development and production, don't do it if you have a small team, unless you're very (laughs) confident. I am extremely confident in the the stability of it and, and the fact that it works, mostly because we do have a CI server that's running YJIT for Shopify, and Shopify is one of the biggest reapps apps in production that exists. So I'm pretty damn confident that it's not going to break your stuff. But, I don't know, may- maybe have someone experienced on hand just with the bucket of water. <laughs> like, you never know. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, it, that's one kind of, the- of my very, very tepid yes.
0: Because I know when YJIT was kind of first announced... Jeez, I don't even remember what what it was pre pandemic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And people say, Yeah, don't use it on Rails. But Yeah, saying, at the
1: time it's come it's come a lot further since then. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's exciting. And I think, you know, obviously teams should approach with caution with anything that they're adding in and right. changing with their production environment. But I think that does get us closer to, you know, debunking, you know, for sure, the whole, like, oh, Ruby is slow. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. even seeing from Ruby 2.0 to where we're at now, the speed increases just version over version has just been crazy. Right, and for sure. Now, if yeah. we can get some extra free performance, you know, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is an, a, a very important point to make. right? If you have an interpreted language like Ruby, dynamically typed, not a lot of static analysis that can be performed. You have to have a JIT in order to be performant. That's just kind of the reality. You JITs, it, it can be AOT, it can be a JIT, it can be, there, there can be different tools that are in place. But like, if you do not have a JIT compiler, you're not going to compete with the, you know, AOT compilers that exist in certain payloads. So I think one of the other exciting things that a very, very strong JIT in Ruby allows us to do is rewrite things in in Ruby. I think that that's going to really, you're going to see that in a couple of years. It's going to take a little bit, but people are going to move away from C extensions because C extensions are a black box. You can't Without short of writing a bytecode interpreter for C, you're not going to be able to get a lot of, you can't inline through a C function. It's, it, it becomes a problem. Because you can't go, you can't go through it because you don't know what's happening. But if it's if it's just written in Ruby, then we can inline through it, and we're going to see more and more optimizations in the Ruby layer that you're not going to be able to have. So people are going to people are going to I, I I'm like this is like the future, but like uh, <laughs> people are going to rewrite things in Ruby out of C. It's going to be faster, and it's going to be a really exciting time. It's going to be a bit, but it's going to happen.
3: So one of the things that's like sort of in in my way of just turning the flag on, right? is it seems like right now there's like trade-offs. If your code base, you know, does certain things, then you get free performance from using a JIT. And if you do other things, for example, so um, while we were talking, I was just like, I pulled this up, the kind of list of like performance tips, right, for using YJIT, right? And it's like, I guess my understanding is that like, if you kind of do these things, right, in your code base, you're not going to get as much out of white jet, right? And so it becomes a bit of a, a trade-off kind of scenario. And every time that I've read through this, I'm like, well, I feel like some of these items are things that I want to do in my code base, for example. Um, obviously, some of them not so much, but... For- Okay. Example, right? Like, it's like, Hey, see Ruby methods are costly, like favor larger methods over smaller methods. And I'm like, well, I feel like we like smaller methods in Ruby, you know, things like that, right? Like, I don't feel like all of the things in here are, are intuitive, uh, to me as a Rubyist. And, uh, so I guess my question then is, I am, well, first of all, make, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but I guess my question is like, do we feel like some of this stuff is going to change in the future? Are we always going to have this specific set of caveats or are these things going to change as we, as the JIT compiler gets like new features and things so that we get more optimizations?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That list is going to change a lot it and it's changing constantly. So like a couple months, maybe two or three months ago, I added support for keyword arguments. We didn't have support for keyword arguments. You couldn't JIT them. And now we can. So like that just got dropped off the list. John Hawthorne then went and took that and added support for call sites that have optional and keyword arguments. So like we're adding support for things that list is going to continue to change. Now, it's interesting the example that you brought up of like longer methods instead of shorter methods. That one is going to take a little bit, but that gets better within lining.
3: So like- Maybe maybe a better example- (laughs) maybe a better example would be like a few up there you're just like well don't or try not to wrap uh objects with classes or whatever and so i'm thinking like oh my gosh what's that thing that just wraps a hash or whatever uh gives you like a basic class uh
1: oh uh uh, open struct or uh, something like that yeah
3: yeah yeah Yeah. so i'm thinking something like that right or at least that was my assumption yeah i I presume that's what we're talking about
1: yeah yeah for sure so right those kinds of things are are they're going to get better as the as the it gets better like we're just going to continue to try to eliminate i mean that list ideally and the the we talked about the idealist. ideally that list is empty and you shouldn't know anything and you should just run ruby and everything just happens but the more dynamism you introduce into your system the harder it's going to be to jit. so that's just kind of a reality like i don't there's going to be some pretty difficult things to jit like you think about the um like all the dynamic things that we do in Rails, looking at the schema, some of those things are going to be hard to JIT. Of having all these, I mean, actually, it's funny I say that because some of them actually aren't too bad because you you just have the method at runtime, so it just exists the same. But open structs that that wrap hashes that have completely dynamic methods, you can't point to. Or, or or I think of uh, like uh, B methods. B methods are, th- are methods that are defined with blocks, dynamically defined with blocks, right? And they could have local variables that were captured as part of that outside of the the block definition. Those are still going to be hard to jit. So we're going to, it's going to be hard. It's funny because I think a lot of the expressiveness of Ruby is the beauty. And so <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. And like, I want that list to be zero, but it's going to be a while.
3: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I. Right. I think what you said is the most important thing, right? Like, what I'm looking for is not necessarily a zero list. I think that we'd all be willing to take the hit, right? To to we already know today. The reason why we write in Ruby isn't because we want performant code; it's because we want to be able to write beautiful, well-expressed code, right? Like, I, I presume you're in, you're in the wrong place if you're like looking for Ruby to be the most performant thing in the planet. I, I think right now, right. But at the same time, like, I definitely I think what you said is awesome. That you're like we can expect the list to get reduced, right? Yeah. So the, hopefully we'll only be like a handful of things maybe that are caveats. That would be awesome. Yeah. and I, I look at the list and I feel like it's huge right now. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, it is. It is because the future of y is huge, right? There's like a ton of things to be done, which is part of why it's exciting. But I think you're totally right about what you said about Ruby. Like people choose Ruby because their developers program faster. And it's easier to mean, you know, like you can, you can see the speed benefits. And there's a reason why massive amounts of startups specifically choose Ruby and Rails. Like you're not writing a startup in Haskell. No one does that. Like if you're doing that, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not backing off. I'm taking that <laughs> stance. It was, it I'm was, dying on this hill. I interviewed at a place once. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm dying on this hill. People choose Ruby because their developers are happy. They can crap you know they can crank out code really fast there was the dhh post recently like the one person language the one person framework whatever it was so yeah i mean like there's always going to be a trade-off like i think there's gonna you're, you're gonna start to see things like what stripe is doing which is more of like enterprise subset of of ruby like stripe disallows su- a lot of things because it doesn't fit within sorbet so that they can use their sorbet aot compiler to build out uh shared object files so like specific subset running at stripes uh scale yeah okay i get it but if you're like a one person shop running a rails app like do some funny things do what you want have fun go ahead and monkey patch. except for yjit
3: because i think you just said don't do it
1: if you're a small team i'm saying if you're a small team you're not worried about the scale that yjit's going to give you if you're a small team you're just trying to crank out features like, I, I don't know. I, I've never met like a like a two or three person team that is like, we have to fix our performance. They're, you know, they're more worried about like getting a customer in the door. <laughs> so, you know, I think if you're at the scale where you're worrying about the performance that WISEJIT's going to give you, you're probably also at the scale where you can serve to reduce your, the surface area of Ruby that you use. Sweet.
0: That's awesome. Well, we're about that time where we should probably start wrapping up. Is there any other questions or anyone else have any last minute thoughts
4: i've wanted to talk about mathlang, but we we must come back this is a a totally new language that kevin has written that looks like kind of high school algebra i think would be the best way to describe it and i presume that was a kind of parser experiment
1: it was one of the parser experiments it's also because i have a good friend who teaches high school algebra. <laughs> and I started it at the beginning of the pandemic and wanted to build a remote learning tool for teaching math that doesn't really exist, something that you can graph things out very easily and, and understand equations. But I, I've put it on hold temporarily uh, while I finished the Ruby Association work. But I'm going to go back to it.
3: So, uh, Open Mathematica is that what we're talking about
1: here? A little bit, is yeah. It, is, is... Much dumbed down, <laughs> but I also like experimented. Like, there's like there's like a type checker in it, so you know, used for learning things.
0: That's pretty awesome. Well, Kevin, if people want to follow you online or find out what you're doing, where should they go?
1: KDD Newton is my handle everywhere: GitHub, Twitter, LinkedIn. If you're feeling professional, so yeah, I'm on all the all the channels. But yeah, I, I tweet about the various things that, I, that I'm building and my GitHub has like all the code that I write. Awesome.
2: Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: All right, let's go ahead and move on to some picks. Uh, Valentino, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Let's see.
2: One pick I
5: have is uh, a Ruby implementation of Wordle that I came across. Uh, In case nobody else in the world has heard of Wordle, (laughs) it's a a word scramble game where you have to try and guess the, the word. It's become an internet sensation. Somebody made a little Ruby CLI for it. I thought it was pretty cool. And I've been playing a lot on my Oculus recently been been doing the 11 table tennis game. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm getting a pretty good spin on the ball now. I'm, I'm kind of eager. I haven't really played ping pong since b- the before times. So I'm interested to see if I pick up any actual skill from it or not. <laughs> we'll see.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I actually had to add word old to my mute list on Twitter, because my feed was just getting destroyed. So I'm much happier now. Luke, do you have any picks?
4: I do. I do. It's a, a, a few topical picks since Kevin's here. What the YG and Kevin Tuck talked about this is that even if you introduce relatively small kind of single percentage optimizations into code, if that code runs at massive scale, that makes an, an enormous difference, you know, a bit like compound interest. So that's why for my first pick, I'm going to, Chuck's not here, so I'm going to pick a different podcast, uh, Commit the Ultimate Sin, and I'm going to pick the remote Ruby episode with DHH, where DHH is trying to do the same thing by completely removing JavaScript from all devices anywhere in the world. By, you know, I've spoken previously about the JavaScript footprint and it's a really great episode where DHH is about hot wire and what he's looking at the Rails. And of course it ties very nicely in with um, the ultimate optimization of removing all your JavaScript. Second pick is a parser pick. It's uh I believe the best talk at RubyConf twenty twenty one. Sorry Kevin, but it is of course Kevin Kutcher's vertical assignment in Ruby talk. I've really, really enjoyed that and he talks about passing Ruby, but he uses I think a trace point. So he doesn't actually get into the real Ruby parser. He just kind of, you know, does what you can do without compiling your own Ruby and uh yeah that's enough picks for this week there we go first assignment of ruby i can't i can't recommend
3: it enough
0: awesome john do you have any picks
3: i do i have two for this week and i did i didn't know that luke was going to beat me to it but i also have a podcast pick but it's not a it's not a, a ruby or rails podcast pick it's uh it's a, i call this a candy podcast so it's it's the miss and let miss and legends podcast i was I haven't been doing much podcasting for a few years and i kind of getting back to it so anyway it just the dude like basically like reads or it doesn't read i mean he reads the stories and then he comes and he like basically like tells you like a story that's like a myth or a legend right and it's just awesome if you if you like stories if you like sort of like mythology legend type stuff it's awesome it, he just hits up like everything so, anyway, super cool podcast. I love it. I I would say that like I learn all sorts of cool things from there, but I I don't, which is why I kind of refer to it as more candy than anything. And then for my second pick, I have been recently getting back into scotch again, and I I acquired a sixteen year abalore, which I have I had run out of a couple years ago. Scotch got really expensive, so I just didn't buy any for a couple years, and I got another bottle, and it rekindled my love again. So. Going to recommend that as well. That's me.
0: Awesome. I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. So, anyone who's listened to Ruby Rogues in the past knows that I like power tools. And I came across one that I did not have and I fell in love with. It is the DeWalt Multi Tool, it's an oscillating tool. And it is really, really good for getting those really tight spaces that you need to cut and that you would otherwise, like if you're doing trim work on the corner and you need to make a 45-degree cut, I was redoing our dining room and adding in some shelves, and I had to pull off like six feet of baseboard just to bend it back to make a cut. This oscillating tool, did it in just a couple seconds. Didn't have to remove the existing trim. So it's an awesome tool. And my second pick is going to pick Hotwire. Because I've been upgrading an existing Rail 6 application. I got it upgraded to Rail 7. I'm working on the JavaScript portion of it right now. And before, I was using UJS and custom action cable channels all over the place. I've completely stripped all of that out and I'm just using Hotwire. And one reason that I really like is one, the application's more stable. I'm writing less JavaScript now. It is overall much, much better with the Turbo Frame Tags. And I'm finding that I am also, reorganizing the code to where it is so much better. So uh, it's a lot easier to read now. It is more in place where things should be. So Hotwire is my second pick. And if you haven't looked up Hotwire, basically right now it is just uh, Stimulus JS in combination with Turbo, which is the successor to Links. And Kevin, do you have any picks?
1: I got two for you. So one is... There's a guy named, I believe, Tim Morgan, who is uh, building a Ruby implementation in C plus plus, and he has phenomenal YouTube videos that you can watch that show him implementing it every week, and they're great and they're really informative. And they, if you're if you're interested in language design, that's a really good place to start. So that's one. Um, the other one is my absolute favorite Ruby blog, which is Idiosyncratic Ruby. I haven't seen it in a lot of places like advertised, but it's phenomenal. And there are so many great posts and so many interesting things. One is like digging into implementing Marshall in Ruby. There's some things about like here, here's a list of every global and what it does. There are just fascinating posts on there that I, I, every time a new one comes out, I'm, I'm always very excited about it. So yeah, check those out.
0: Awesome. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. It was good talking to you all, and I'll catch y'all later.
3: Take care.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.